just knock on wood. Stop. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Park your car. On the wood. Say ten Hail Marys. Sacrifice. <laughs> uh, sacrifice your legs on an altar to Jake Fromm. Like do whatever you need to do. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, the stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we are talking all about the season of previews, the preview episode for Chapel Bell Curve. We're talking about UGA and the football program at this wonderful institution of higher learning and what we might expect from this year. So this is kind of our, our season opener, season season opener, season opener. Um. And I'm doing still in, great. Still in off season form, I see. Yep, very much so. So, we'll be going through a few different things, but uh, we're gonna try to get through this in a, around an hour, because Oof. that's what you come here for. <laughs> but brave, we'll, brave statement. We're gonna do our best. We're gonna do our damnedest. Brave, brave, brave statement uh, for me. So we'll 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 figure it all out. But if this is your very first Chapel Bell Curve episode, we want to thank you for being here and uh, kind of tell you what to expect if. You know somebody that loves Georgia football or maybe is unsure if they really love Georgia football or have always wanted to get into maybe the world of statistics or they're afraid of the Twitter sphere that surrounds Georgia football and college football in general because it's a crapshoot. Um, then this is the show for them. It's the show that takes the hot, the heat hot, the hot heat, the hot takes out of the game and kind of equips you with the tools you need, we hope, uh, to talk about football intelligently because you don't need all of the mess to go along with it. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, so to sort of clarify. <laughs> yeah, clean that up for me a bit. We want to start by kind of treating you as that you haven't been here before. And if you have been here, I think it's important to refresh where we're coming from philosophically, right? We want to take the heat out of hot takes. And what we mean by that is not that we don't want to say anything interesting, but that we want to come at things from a kind of more rational analytical bent and really try to source and use just what we would consider to be basic argumentation when it comes to football. I think that in sort of one of the initial impetuses for this podcast was the the fact that there is a, a, a very different standard of proof for what you can get away with saying in sports than in normal discourse. That was definitely true when we started this podcast two years ago. I'm not sure if it's true now, but still, I think that philosophically, we're still sort of in the same place where, you know, we are always, we, what we want to do is approach our fandom for Georgia football and predictions for Georgia football and what we think is going to happen in Georgia football with the highest amount of sort of um, intellectual rigor and hewing as closely to the standards of argumentation as they're presented classically as possible um in Beautiful. so many words yeah it's like you do this and, for a living yeah so <laughs> I've, I've been thinking i mean i've i've read over your notes i've been thinking about this yeah yeah i mean um, well you're a teacher is what i'm trying to get at yeah so you know what you can expect to hear from this is we're going to talk about stats we're going to integrate those stats hopefully in a way that's meaningful to you and we're going to not use those stats as just like raw numbers, but we're going to use them to inform what we think already and what our eyes are telling us and just what common sense would tell us. So, you know, despite all the jokes to the contrary, this is not, nor has it ever really been a podcast about spreadsheets. Do we love spreadsheets? Yes, deeply. Yeah. But we, uh, you know, in the same way that decision making in other fields 
using the sort of methods and efficiencies that we discuss in this podcast has led to a revolution in terms of like, you know, the way businesses are run, unfortunately, and the way that (laughs) baseball is run and the way that soccer is run. We think that we can use those same ways of thinking and apply them to football uh, to great effect. So this is our third season, start of our third season officially. Mm -hmm, Well, mm -hmm. uh, semi-official start of our third season. I don't know. It's a great area. So for those of you who are returning, and here's going to be really good. Mm -hmm. Until then, right now, we are sort of in transitional period. Uh, Bill Bill Connolly, who is sort of like the spiritual father of this podcast in many ways, has moved from SB Nation to ESPN. He does not publish his new ESPN numbers until Wednesday, and we cannot wait until then to release a podcast. So we'll be doing our preview episodes using much more sort of like, I would say, old school approaches to analysis with just raw data and looking at death charts and such. I think it can still be useful... It can still be a really useful um, exercise because sometimes I think sometimes we look at the numbers so much that we don't see the forest for the trees. So I think it's good to start with this as our starting place and then try to get into the nitty gritty of game in and game out performances as we go forward, hopefully uh, very soon with the numbers that SB Nation is helping us to use. Mm -hmm. What what Um, I will say, though, is we can get into a little bit of what Bill Connolly used to use and what ESPN uses and maybe try to intuit what might be the new world of stats coming out of Bill Connolly, because I know that that's something that they probably didn't just bring Bill Connolly to ESPN to do the same thing that ESPN has been doing the whole time. They brought him in to do more of what he was doing there. So the five big basic metrics that we look at a lot, and we are going to be looking into other ways to measure these metrics, but these numbers are going to be out there since Bill Connolly presents them on Wednesday. But the five basic metrics that we look at are explosiveness, efficiency, field position, finishing drives, and turnovers. In particular, the key to a lot of statistical thinking when it comes to football is the concept of efficiency and explosiveness. Efficiency being, you know, how how this is a very short 10 second summation of what efficiency is. So I know it's more than this, but basically how often are you behind of or ahead of the chains? So in other words, if you need to get three yards on first down in order to get a first down by the time you run out of downs, how often do you get that many yards? Um, Explosiveness basically just measures how quickly you score. Field position is where your starting field position is. Finishing drives is, you know, how efficient are you? How many points do you get each time you go within the 40? And then turnover margin and turnover luck are basically just like, how much are you relying? How many points per game are you getting off of the fact that you've been lucky and to get turnovers? Um, those are things long term. Those are still terms you're going to hear us use. Uh, short term, you know, we've got ESP and FPI that we can talk about, which is a statistical measure of team strength. It's just it's basically like a power ranking a la Bill Connolly where they're they're just making the power rankings opaque. So like they're making the math opaque, right? How many points above or below an average team a team is? That is exactly, that is what S&P Plus is. Like yeah. raw S&P Plus is measured in points above or below an average team. So um, 10,000 simulations of the rest of the season using FPI, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I'm not saying FPI isn't good statistically. I'm just saying that I, I'm always distrustful of data sources that uh, are opaque to the public. And even though Bill Connolly's stuff is not that easy to get, you can find the math really easily and at least get like a basic explanation of each component and see like fun breakdowns. Um, team efficiencies or something else they do, which is just like scoring margin per play. 
So it's basically just efficiency. <laughs> yeah, it, it's efficiency, but it's based on the yeah. whole team. And they, yeah, they it's, do, it's, t- it's team-wide efficiency. Yeah, they take into account offense, defense, and special teams. It is a rolling total that uh, yeah. Yeah, aggregates uh, over yeah, the I mean, season. And, and it makes sense, right? Like you, you, there's a lot of reasons why Bill Connolly's S and P Plus was sort of this like perfect unicorn that had never existed before. One of which being that usually when these systems get developed, they don't, they're not like totally transparent to the public, right? Because if you develop a system and you want it to make you money, you don't show other people how to use that system. Mm-hmm. That cat is kind of out of the bag at this point. Kind of my frustration with team efficiencies and FPI isn't that I don't think they're good; it's that. It's really dumb that there's no math behind that data. I yeah. feel very similar about QBR. Yeah, I don't don't care for QBR. It well, makes I no mean, sense to me. And it doesn't yeah, need QB to be rating there. is also bad. Yeah, right. But it doesn't. At the very least, we know what QB rating is. Whereas QBR is just sort of this opaque number from zero to one hundred, and we don't know what it means. And that that you know, and I don't want to rant about Disney or anything, but that is sort of <laughs> one of the biggest problems with. <laughs> You know, for whatever reason, ESPN, it seems like it before they hired Bill Connolly, it felt like that their sort of approach to covering sports was to just take the Fox NFL robot and make it a network um, and just sort of like be big and dumb and be like, yeah, we got robots and girls with tits and trucks, big dicks. You can put a click in there. Um so it sort of bothers me that they're sort of making these numbers opaque because it's very clear that certainly, you know, the average football fan doesn't give a crap about any of this, but the market for it is there. So it's kind of frustrating to me that they would make it so, I don't know, wouldn't mm-hmm. give you access to the numbers even if you asked. But we can talk about our FPI. I think, you know, that's as good a place to start as any for our season preview. So what is yeah. ESPN talking about F- FPI this year? So FPI, as you mentioned before, is essentially it's a measure of the team strength that is meant to be the it's the best predictor uh, by their standards of a team's performance going forward for the rest of the season. So it continues to change over the season based on what is left for the season. Uh, and it takes into account everything that has happened, but it runs 10,000 simulations of the rest of the season at any given point in time is the idea. Uh, they're updated daily. Um, you do take into account things like uh, garbage time, which is where team efficiencies play in. Um, you mentioned team efficiencies being the, the the part where how much did a specific part of the team, offense, defense, special teams, contribute to the team's scoring margin. And it is based on per play basis. Um, and the values are adjusted for strength of schedule, garbage time, and it goes from zero to 100. So both those things kind of meet in the middle and you you get fpi this is the idea um but we can kind of go through a little bit uh fpi is how espn has determined kind of georgia resume looks like for the rest of the year and we can kind of look at what statistics and variables that they're choosing to kind of uh illustrate what this team is going to look like for the year i'd like to think that bill Connolly had a hand in this but i don't know what the the you know i mean the, fbi the was background. around before bill Connolly. Well, yeah i know um, but, I'm, but i'm thinking going forward i mean they, they've put they've put win projections on the page now which makes me think that he's having some influence so uh, third ranked fpi 22.3 points above average uh projected win loss is 9.9 so 10 wins basically uh 2.6 chance of winning out 26.1 chance of winning the conference strength of schedule and i think this really will get down to a lot of the analysis today is strength of schedule remaining uh is four this is a very very hard schedule and 
I, and I'm, I don't want to spoil my take or anything, but I think my basic thoughts about this team is that this team could be better than 2017 and still go 10 and two or 11 and one against this schedule. And so, you know, we're going to have to really rely on the data and, and what our, not just what our eyes tell us in terms of the scoreboard, but also what the data tells us about this, how, how this team is performing, because this is just a very hard schedule. So, um, that feels about right to me. At the same time, UGA's lowest expected results or you know, projected result win percentage um, chance is against Auburn at 54.8%. So it's still every majority. Other, yeah. Yeah. Every, every other game, uh, UGA is predicted to win at least 65% of the time. Now, you know, so like that's, you know, we're talking like eight to nine points different all the way down to like three points different against Auburn. Um, so on the one hand, you would say like, well, yeah, if you flip that coin enough, you're going to end up with a, a perfect record. Uh, but unfortunately, there's just a lot of places that you can slip up. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my overall takeaway. So if you just want to go ahead and turn it off, we already got your download and uh, <laughs> you can just go about your merry way. But if you want to go any even deeper, I mean, if you look at computer predictive models that take strength of a schedule more, because, you know, FPI is like a power ranking of like, how good is this team against the average team, mm-hmm. which to me is much more helpful. Um, but if you if you look at things like Sagarin, which is computer rating that takes, uh, you know, expected schedule and result into the effect, they have UGA all the way down at six behind Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Uh, that Michigan seems very very brave i feel like they do that to uh, michigan every year though so i'm not really well, i convinced. mean sagarin is a com- is a combination of um a bunch of different computer systems that use i, I don't want to say outdated but use just a different kind of set of set of assumptions and in particular they don't adjust for recruiting mm-hmm. that's one of the big things that uh bill Connolly's preseason predictions have but I mean, you know, on the other hand, if you look at Bill C's former SB Nation uh, data that he put out before he left SB Nation, when you roll to, you know, five-year recruiting impact and weighted five-year performance, Georgia goes all the way up to two. I think the way you look at the season is really going to be, I think it's going to be a really interesting dichotomy in terms of, if you look at the season in terms of how good the team is, you would say we are in good shape and we are objectively in a different place than we were against Mark Richt. But if you chose to look at this season in sort of the like shallow, vapid, uh, swimmy, swimmy trunks on AJC style of criticism, I'm not pointing out anyone in particular, the AJC, <laughs> I'm sure they're all great people. Um, <laughs> you would say like, well, you know, UGA went 10 and 2 under Mark Richt, right? But the fact of the matter is that when UGA had the fourth ranked schedule under Mark Richt, they did not go 10 and 2. And I'm not, I don't actually, I think I'm more probably projecting like 11 and one for this team, mm. but I think it's really important that we look at fact, we look at measures such as S&P, FPI, we look at, you know, Massey, we look at FBI and just tell, look at what the efficiency numbers tell us for how well this team is performing, because even great teams lose games when they have a schedule this hard, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. One of the things that made the, the, team in 2017 so special was that a lot of our other rivals were down so we we were able to get some truly dominant wins against those rivals well we should probably beat most of our rivals this year but the games are going to be closer and the closer a game gets the more the fact that each player is an 18 year old carrying an oblong ball starts to impact the result Mm -hmm. so 
it just feels to me like this is going to be one of those seasons where we lose some dumb game. You know, like we lose the Texas A&M game and then it's like, can Kirby beat the SEC West? And Or we lose the Auburn game and it's like, oh, Gus Malzahn's back and he's going to be the coach for another 85 years. Thank God. <laughs> um, may he never leave. With yeah. That dumb high school offense that runs like six plays. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, what do you think when you look at FBI? I know I just like ranted for like 15 minutes. So good luck editing this. No, you're good. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I like the idea of FBI is where I'm at. And I like where it kind of projects us. There are a few pieces in there that are they're somewhat concerning. And our, our season does look a little weird with uh, it, it really feels like our season doesn't really start till September 21st when we, we meet Notre Dame in Athens. Uh, that'll be the first big game we play. And then it's kind of all, it's just a gauntlet after that, really. We're playing Notre Dame, then Tennessee and South Carolina, who are all three uh, in the top 20. We play Kentucky that's kind of reeling from a, a season that was really great last year, kind of unexpectedly. And we got to see how Kentucky comes about this year. And then we play Florida, who everyone's saying, like, this is the next coming of SEC East Jesus, apparently. Okay, um, okay. We're recording this after we're recording this after the Miami game. We, we don't are. have to pre. Do we still have to pretend Florida is good? No, we don't. I, I'm not going to pretend Florida is good. Look, I'm just looking here's at all, the numbers. Here, here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. Here's what is clear to me. Currently, Florida uh, Florida is at number eight in FPI, mm-hmm. and it gives us a 65.9 percent chance of winning that game. Florida's FPI rank, their raw rank, is uh, 16.7, putting them what? just under There's two touchdowns above the average points. team yeah yeah just under six points but under us like it's going to be a one a one possession game my after watching florida who seems like they have a hellacious defense with a really good pass rush um and don't really have a lot else going on i, I it's just it's hard for me not to feel like a team with a competent offensive line is can tear the doors off of this florida team and let me tell you something, my friend. We haven't gotten to the position by position breakdowns, but this team feels like a competent. This team is going to have a more than competent offensive line. I don't know. I mean, just walking off of the bus, yeah. we could probably field a better offensive line than Miami. Yeah. Like if different... you just picked ran a random five offensive line players off of out of the offensive line room of scholarship <laughs> players, you would end up with a better <laughs> offensive line than what Miami had on Saturday. Yeah. So I do not feel as bad about Florida now that I've and seen them play. The thing about the, the this Florida team. It's the same old Florida team as it has been in the past few years. And I feel like the Georgia team is going to have a lot of different pieces. Like, it's going to look like the same Georgia team as it was last year, I think, these first few games. Because there's not much... You don't have to do a whole lot to... Other than play good football to win to these beat first Arkansas few games. State and Murray yeah. State, yeah, uh, we're going to see some some different stuff. We're going to see a newer Georgia. We're going to see our new coordinators. I think pulling out kind of their signature plays and kind of putting their own stamp on these things. Once we hit Notre Dame, so we really don't know what we're going up against as far as like what Georgia looks like until we get to that game. And so, that, with that all being said, Florida looks the same. We don't know what Georgia looks like. The 2019 Georgia. It's like they're they're kind of reinventing themselves in a way. Uh, same old talent, but they got a, a brand new jacket, essentially. You know what I well, mean? Well, yeah, I mean, and, yeah, I do, I do, I do know what you mean. I mean, like, well, let, let's let's do this before we get into individual predictions of record and stuff. Let's let's actually look at our roster and break it down. Yeah, so, what yeah. we've done this year in lieu because we don't have good stats, we're going to just look through rosters, talk about projected starters, talk about what we think about each starter, what we think about each position group, and then we'll use these discussions to sort of like, you know, ref inform what we think about our prediction coming in so let's talk let, let, let's go through our expected roster yeah so we'll start with the offense and just so everyone knows we do have a 70 
70 man travel roster. So only 70 players on this team of over 100 players are going to actually go to Vanderbilt. So we're we're going to try our best to go through and guess speculatively, uh, kind of speculate as to who is going to be on the, the starting roster. And that's based off of observations from the media and folks we've spoken to and just kind of what we're seeing in practices and based off of, of course, last year's experience, et cetera, et cetera. So starting at the very top, the ones that we, we're pretty sure about, Jake Fromm. This is Jake Fromm's junior year. He's, of course, our quarterback. What do we know about Jake Fromm so far? What's going on with him? I mean, he's the undisputed starter. He's probably Clearly. one of the two or three. He's not probably. He is one of the two or three best uh, returning quarterbacks in college football. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the highest. He doesn't have the highest athletic ceiling. You know, he doesn't have a higher athletic ceiling than Tua or Trevor. But outside of those two guys, he's about as good as it gets. You know, he's. Mm-hmm. People are saying that he's like the most important, you know, quarterback in college football. I see you got that written down in our notes. And I, I mean, I get that. Like the drop off between him and Stetson Bennett is pretty big, but there's no one else that you'd rather have behind center in this team. I, I, I really don't think I would take anyone other than no. maybe Trevor Lawrence or Tua over him. Um, his, you know, his returning stats are just ridiculous. Uh, 2018, Jake Fromm, 27, 2,749 yards, 30 touchdowns six interceptions looked good his basically every game one 171 quarterback rating which is a dumb way to put quarterback rating but it doesn't matter 67.3 percent <laughs> completion percentage just like a very just a very very good season just didn't make a lot of mistakes didn't have a lot of bad games even in the games we lost generally speaking had pretty good games had basically one bad game the entire year against lsu and then you know texas but when i don't i'm not counting the sugar bowl for you know various no. reasons you know in terms of he's probably the most settled starter on the roster he's also the person i'm worried the least about i'm worried about what he can do when we can't run and he has to just throw the ball because that's been the problem that he's had in the past when yeah. we played teams like lsu I think he has it in him and I think we need to scheme better, you know, around what he can do in those situations. I'm very interested to see what his completion percentage under pressure is this year. It's been good in the past, uh, but you know, in general, if he has a clean pocket or at least doesn't have to worry about people just putting their ears back, he does a lot better. That's true of every quarterback, but in particular, I think the, the stark difference between when he has a run game and when he doesn't has been something that at least anecdotally, I think is, uh, a very impactful thing for us so just seeing how that goes is pretty interesting uh do you have anything else to say about the quarterbacks i mean jake Fromm is jake Fromm. he's oh yeah jake, Fromm, a, jake he's, Fromm. he's a legend in his own time <laughs> i expect that he will the lower end of a season he could have is that he'll be still like you know one of the best three yeah. quarterbacks in the in the sec the top end of the season he has is that he wins the heisman mm-hmm. like genuinely like that's i i do really think that's his ceiling if everything goes right i don't expect it to happen because that's not kind of the offense that we're going to run mm-hmm. but i mean he has that level of talent if you if you can complete almost 70 percent of your throws in the sec like you can You're have doing a good pretty year good the heisman yeah yeah and yeah 30 touchdowns out there uh notable loss that we have spoken of uh rather often is Justin Fields. Justin Fields left last year. He transferred to Ohio State. He was just named the starter at Ohio State today, dooming uh, our, our good friend of the podcast, Tathan Martell, lost that starting job. But after Justin Fields, we had Stetson Bennett come back. Stetson Bennett took a year to go to junior college. He came back and everyone's talking about him like he's a second coming of Jesus. Uh, he looks like Uncle Rico to me. We also have a freshman walk-on in Nathan Priestley, who is looking good, but Truly, he is a freshman walk-on. It's kind of what he looks like. He's great in practice, but that's kind of what we had with Stetson Bennett. So 
you know, Stetson Bennett's a ceiling man. We have Dewan Mathis as well, mm-hmm. a very talented four-star freshman coming in who had a brain injury. He had a brain cyst I, that was removed. Yeah, yeah, a brain cyst that was removed this year. He's practicing, but he's not back to full contact. He's almost certainly due for a, a redshirt year. I mean, a yeah. very important player, probably like one of the people that's going to be in contending to be the future of the position at UGA. So mm-hmm. certainly we wish him the best, but probably a non-factor this year. I don't, you know, it's weird because like quarterback is the most important field. Uh, quarterback is the most important position on the team. But as long as Jake Fromm does not get hurt, everybody knock on wood right now. I'm going to give you five seconds. Just knock on wood. Stop, stop, stop what you're doing. Park your car. On the wood. Say 10 Hail Marys. <laughs> sacrifice, uh, sacrifice your legs on an altar to Jake Fromm. Like do whatever you need to do. So now that I've said that, as long as Jake Fromm is healthy, there's genuinely no reason to worry about the quarterback position at Georgia. Jake Fromm at his worst is better than quarter, many quarterbacks who have won the national championship. And when we start talking about the talent at the rest of this team, we only need to have average Jake Fromm to win the national championship this year. Genuinely, yeah. I do believe that. Uh, All right. Moving wide on receiver. running backs. Oh, running back. Yeah. Jesus, dude. This running back room is ridiculous. It's silly. And I even made a note here because... I, w- I made notes about who we assumed the most likely starter would be, and I highlighted DeAndre Swift. But really, what does what does starting running back even mean for well, UGA? Here's the here's the <laughs> ridiculous thing. Like we would assume that Swift is the obvious candidate mm-hmm. to start, but in terms of who takes the first snap, it very well may be Brian. Could be Harry. anybody, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you've got DeAndre Swift, explosive, runs fast big he can run between the tackles he's more he's closer to the sony michelle than nick chubb in in terms of build but he can be in every down back you got brian harrian who is a senior who just basically has been good at everything his entire career at uga there's really it's funny brian harrian is one of those guys he has tough and speed he moves well he doesn't really stand out in any one thing he's just a really good running back who's going to play for a long time you've got james cook who is sort of your he james cook is the actual sony michelle of this team he's you know from south florida he's hella fast he has legit legit hands james uh this is probably i would say one of the better receiving running backfields in the nation if not the best you have deandre swift has great hands james cook has great hands brian harrian has great hands deandre swift and james cook could just be wide receivers like that's how good their hands are so that's a huge asset in the passing game then you have maybe the most talked about running back who is almost certainly going to get the least amount of play time this year is zamir white uh the former five-star number one overall running back out of Tarboro, North Carolina, I think. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he was out of the same town as Todd Gurley, just a different um, high school. Uh, coming back from a set, he had two consecutive ACLs. He had an ACL tear his senior year, and then he had another ACL, ta- ACL tear and a non-contact injury in fall practice last year uh, on like a punt return. He wasn't yeah, in touch. He, he just, just went slipped. down with this ACL. But the ACL was on his other leg, so he's on the first repair on both legs. He apparently is cleared for contact. He looks good. I don't know that... I mean, I think he's going to be on the travel roster. I don't know how many carries to expect to him to have, but his ceiling is like Todd Gurley. Huge. He he huge, is huge. he is a Todd Gurley sized individual that runs as fast as Todd Gurley. So ultimately, you know, he might be one who at the end of the year we're talking about like why didn't we know about James, you know, Zamir White, which of course we all did because he's been hyped to hell and back. But mm-hmm. um I you know, honestly, running back is another position where it's hard to have a lot of concern outside of injuries. And, but running back is so deep that you could probably take an injury to one of the top two backs and still be okay. You know, so it's one of those things where this is kind of the wages of depth, right? The wage of depth is that the bad thing about depth is that you have turnover, right? But the bonus of depth, what you get paid for depth is that you 
you can just accept injuries more readily. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that if it, we would be a worse team if DeAndre Swift went down after the first game for half the season. We would not be a you know top 15 team. We would still be a top 15 without him. Right. And so like DeAndre Swift is maybe any one player on this team outside of Jake Fromm is really only the difference between like a top 15 team and a top five team and a national championship team. Mm -hmm. The ceiling on this team, the depth is so immense. The talent is so deep that just the fact of the matter is that it's going to be the ceiling on this team is very or the floor on this team is very high. It's a very high floor team because of that. Um, You know, and this is something that by the time this comes out, you will have heard this already in our Seth Emerson interview. We talked about with Seth how it can actually be kind of hard to cover this team because at the end of the day, everyone's just good. Yeah. And it can be difficult to use your eyes, even for an experienced reporter. It's difficult to look at, you know, six different six, five, five stars who all have 2% body fat and run a four five and be like, okay, he's the guy out of those that I like the best. And if anything, what you'll notice, I think what really is like telling about that is if you read practice reports from like the the online sites or whatever, from Rivals 24-7 or Seth at The Athletic, if you if you read those practice reports, a lot of times they say like, oh, well, the coach is really giving him like a lot of praise as though he was doing it the best. And to me, that's relevatory because like, of course, reporters always say that kind of thing because it's interesting information. But also, I think it's even more important when everybody is good. Hmm. Right. When everyone looks good, you have to rely on somebody else's eye. And one of the only ways that field reporters have to do that is to look at what the coaches say. And I think that's just like an example of I I think that we sort of as Georgia fans, we're in it all the time. We don't think about where the team is sort of in the macro level. And I think that people outside of Athens don't think of where Georgia is in the macro level because they're so obsessed with trolling us for all of our past, you know, horrible heartbreaks. But the fact of the matter is that. And this is something I'm going to keep coming back to again as we go through the season is that you cannot teach the talent that this team has. And I genuinely do think that as Georgia fans, if we're going to be the best fans that we can be, we need to go out of our way to try to appreciate how damn talented this team is. Mm-hmm. This team is probably more talented than the 2002 Mark Rick team. It is by recruiting class far more talented than the 2005 Mark Rick team. It is, it is a ridiculously stacked set of football players. Sorry, that's all I have to say about running backs. (laughs) Specifically running backs, nothing else. The next position would be wide receivers on the offense. So this is a heavily contested uh, area of the offense and team overall. I'd say this is probably the one of the the deepest and most questioned parts of the team right now. We only have. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because those you don't normally see those two adjectives go together. But you're absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Like it's super deep, very talented. Um but we're not sure kind of what's going to happen. We do have a few returning starters and Demetrius Robertson, who has been hyped to Helen back since he ever got here. Uh, Tyler Simmons, who's been around for a few years, um, senior this year, uh, the only senior with actual experience uh, at this point, but he's probably our number one starter. We have Matt Landers, who's probably going to start right behind him. Demetrius Robertson. Those are our three most likely wide receivers to start. Then we have, just a plethora of fantastic talent right behind them. George Pickens, Lawrence Cager, Kiaris Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, Trey Blount, and Micaiah Young, or Tongue, excuse me. Yeah. I mean, and it's ridiculous because, so Tyler Simmons is probably going to start at your like wide receiver one X position. You're going to get Matt Landers at the Z, or I always get those mixed up. You're going to get Matt Landers at the sort of like wide field position, mm-hmm. and you're going to get Demetrius Robinson starting in the slot. Behind those three, it's it literally... 10 dudes fighting the for playing shrug time emoji. Of, 
<laughs> yeah, of of wit. But see, what's interesting is you have these giant. This is like the one big question mark in Georgia's team, but it's also ironically one of the places where Georgia can throw the most recruiting stars at a problem. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this in our last episode about how sometimes you can just sort of like play the law of large averages where you have a lot of lottery tickets and you know one of them's going to hit. Mm-hmm. And this is that in action, right? Because let's say Tyler Simmons or Matt Landers has a bad day. Well, you've got right behind them a five-star in George Pickens. you got a four-star transfer in Lawrence Cager. you got another five or another four-star in Kyrus Jackson, right? And actually, you've got another four-star in Micaiah Tung. Kyrus Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, and Trey Blunt are all four and five stars who are backing up Demetrius Robertson. So any of those three starters who all seem to have, if not solidified their place, at least sort of put themselves ahead of the pack, any of those three stars that has a bad game is going to quickly find themselves eclipsed, mm-hmm. you know, and like George Pickens might be the most talented uh, receiver in this room. And there's a decent chance he doesn't have a catch in the first half of the season. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the same thing that happened. Didn't that happen to Tyler Simmons the first year he was around? I mean, that, I'm pretty sure that's, that's fairly normal at this point too. Uh, a lot, there was a lot of hype with George Pickens, especially over the off season and you might just not hear about anything George Pickens has done for quite some time at this point. And here's the thing, the thing about this, this wide receiver room, a lot less experience, the returning yards are not there. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, Bill Connolly tells us that returning wide receiver yards are important. And so I'm not going to try to discount and act like it doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is what this, what this wide receiver room has that past wide receiver rooms at UJ even recently have not had is height. When we had J.J. Holloman last year, we always commented on how, like, oh, it's so great to have a high, a tall receiver. All of the, a lot of these guys are six three and up, right? Matt Landers, Mattia Tung, uh, George Pickens, Lawrence Cager—they're all over six three, super tall. You know, George Pickens is six five. So that is a weapon that we have not had in our arsenal going up against Alabama in the past. One of the big differences between us and 2017 and Alabama in 2017 was that they had Jerry Judy and we did. I'm not saying that any of these dudes is Jerry Judy, but I am saying that just having enough big bodies who can run really fast, you kind of, it's not that it's like you can't miss, but it's like if you can throw eight people who can run a four or five and are over six, three at a problem, you're, you're probably going to find a, 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 at least competent wide receiver out of that bunch. And just kind of going down the statistics of last year, the receiving yards and everything, just uh, an interesting point to look at. And this is, you may see this as a bad thing. I see this as a good thing and I'll explain why. You have to go down eight spots of top receivers to get to a returning player this year in Tyler Simmons, who is going to be our number one wide receiver, most likely. Uh, He had 138 receiving yards last year. That is the eighth uh, highest receiving, returning receiver, excuse me. And that's taking out DeAndre Swift, uh, who, of course, is a running back. Um, Past that, you see maybe, you see DeAndre Swift, Charlie Werner, Tyler Simmons, Brian Harriet. And that's it on this list of more than 15 players uh, as far as our top receivers go. And so you could look at that and say, what are we going to do? I don't know what our game plan is, but what I see is what are we going to do? What is our game plan? And so we can kind of say, this is going to be an interesting kind of mix of we're going to have to sig- figure out what happens. I mean, we have all this talent, just like we talked about. We're going to throw it all at this problem and figure out what sticks. And that will be what we do. Um, and so sky's kind of the limit. We're not relying on any one player necessarily to make this work, trying to figure out what combination of these players fixes this issue. And that's what we're going to run with. And I'm, I'm super excited to see that. that hundred percent. All right. So once we've talked about wide receivers, uh, we can move on to tight ends. So we have a few tight ends that we're probably bringing with us this Vanderbilt game. The s- presumed starter being Charlie Werner, uh, behind him is John Fitzpatrick, Eli Wolf and Brett Seether. 
So what can you tell us about those four in a group? I mean, Charlie Warner is not your prototypical tight end build-wise. He almost is more of just a big wide receiver. He's a nasty-ass blocker. He's a mean dude. Really catches the ball well. I mean, his I mean, his problem has been utilization in the past. He's got like 27 catches in his entire career. Some of that from Isaac Nada, but some of that just because James Coley really likes to talk about the tight end, but he really doesn't want to use him. Not James Coley, Jim Chaney, sorry. His biggest problem, his biggest problem has been utilization, frankly. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, I think that this is a very talented tight end room. I think Charlie Warner is a very talented tight end who very well, very well may play in the NFL. He fits really well into like sort of a spread flex tight end role. I think he blocks really well. But I will believe that Georgia will use tight ends when I see it. Right. You know, he, been waiting Charlie for Warner for so very long. well. Yeah. Charlie Warner very well could be a ridiculous, red, you know, red zone, short possession, just really, really good tight end. But when we start throwing to the tight ends, that's when I'll believe that it will happen. There's also word world that Eli Wolf, who was a former walk-on, he played at Tennessee, he's transferred away from Tennessee, is actually pushing Warner for playing time. He just has a lot of experience and good hands, and he's like, you know, a 25-year-old senior or whatever. So that's not <laughs> super surprising. He's definitely – I don't know that he has the athleticism that Warner has, but it's also – it's good to see that depth develop because you have a lot of youth behind those two. So, you know, hopefully that's – I hope that we only use John Fitzpatrick in, you know, cleanup because he's young and doesn't have a lot of experience, and, uh, you know, you don't really want to put – tight end is like pretty pivotal at least under shaney tight end was really pivotal is like the fifth blocker oftentimes and so you don't want to put a freshman there who can't block so i i, I don't i i'm still if any the one of the things that i'm most skeptical about when it comes to the transition to james coley is that we're going to throw to the tight end more yes <laughs> i just don't believe it well i mean and, and coley's kind of his resume kind of looks that way i mean he's he's been a tight end um whatchamacallit, a tight end coach for a long time, and that's kind mm-hmm. of, he, he's a bit more of a dynamic offensive coordinator from what I understand and from what I've, I've been hearing is that he he moves the ball around a lot more and there's a lot more shares, keeps the uh, defense guessing, and so there this is the best time, a better time than any time before now that the tight ends would be getting the ball more often, so here's hoping. Yeah, so let's talk about the offensive line. Yep. Finish out our we're 46 minutes in and we'll finish out the offense. <laughs> Well, there's 10 minutes of me peeing and you talking about Twitter. So there's that at least. Uh, Yeah. Presumed starters on the (laughs) offensive line. Andrew Thomas at left tackle. uh, Solomon Kindley at left guard. Trey Hill at center. Isaiah Wilson at right tackle. And we think Cade Mays at right guard. That right guard spot is the only unsettled one. It was sort of a battle back and forth between Cade Mays and Ben Cleveland. Mm -hmm. It looks like that uh, Cade Mays is – or Ben Cleveland – whoever loses the job, which it looks like Ben Cleveland has lost the starting job, that that person is then going to become sort of like the utility infielder type who is the super sixth man or whatever you want to say. The person who's starting first Mm -hmm. behind a lot of those people. Solomon Kinley did last year mostly. Yeah, that probably would have been Jamali Sawyer until he sprained his ankle. This offensive line is ridiculous. This offensive line is exclusively four and five stars Mm -hmm. who are big and fast and mean. Uh, Like, I think UGA has far and away the best starting five offensive line in the nation and might have the best starting six. Um, It's just ridiculous. Andrew Thomas, Trey Hill both have a really good chance to be first round, if not first round draft picks, then day one draft picks. Mm -hmm. Andrew Thomas could go in the top five picks of the draft. Cade Mays could become the next Andrew Thomas. Right. You've got there's just so many people on this on this in this offensive line room that are 
so hyped that our future first round draft picks who are not even playing. Jamari Sawyer is what many people said was the best offensive line, uh, the best offensive line prospect they'd seen in 35 years in Georgia or 35 years in the nation. Right. And he cannot start. He cannot crack the starting five. Mm -hmm. Right. You've got guys like Owen Condon, Justin Schaefer, Demarcus Hayes, those dudes were legit blue chip recruits who we were all excited about who have, we're not even seeing their names on practice reports. Yeah. It is truly the, it is the deepest, it's the deepest position on the team. It's the best position on the team. And there's really like, yeah, if anything, the concern is just like, is Sam Pittman going to continue to hit on all these four and five stars who have yet to play, right? Can he develop Justin Schaefer, Owen Condon, DeMarcus Hayes, Warren Erickson, you know, Cade Mays, Kenny, well, Cade Mays already kind of developed. Can he develop these other guys who are just names to us right now into the next net great five offensive mm-hmm. linemen? We're going to need to have seven or eight offensive linemen at least contribute just because that's the way the position works. But I, it's hard to see this offensive line being bad. Again, knock on wood, say 10 Hail Marys, pray to your, you know, your shrine of St. Kirby. Give <laughs> Unless there is a ridiculous rash of in- injuries, which can always happen, it's difficult to see this offensive line being anything other than elite. I think that their worst case scenario, they're probably still the third best offensive line in the league. Yeah. If everything goes wrong, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if we have to cobble this together from spare parts, our spare parts are still four and five stars, which is like sort of the, the, the case all the way across the team. And the, the fact is every football team has to, has to cobble everything together from spare parts. That's how the game works. Mm-hmm. So like, that's why I'm so excited about this team is that like, I've never looked since we've been doing this certainly, but really since I've been a Georgia fan, this is the first time that you can look position by position on this team and say, basically there is a legitimate plan B at every position outside of quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, people really like Stetson Bennett. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Rico, you know, so it's, it, he can get it. Yeah. I mean, obviously he can get it. Look at it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about how much he can get it. I'm talking about how much he can play football. Anyway. Uh, Look, if, 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 if football were, if, if quarterback were a beauty contest, Aaron Murray would be Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning would be like a janitor in Omaha somewhere. <laughs> Or Knoxville, really. But. Well, I've said it before that I truly believe that the best football players all look like truck drivers. It's kind of a thing. Yeah. You look down the line. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite truck driver football players just retired from the NFL uh, this week, and Andrew Luck. That guy looks like a truck driver. He may become a truck driver at this point. They just kind of have a look about him. That's all I got to say about it. Uh, moving on to defensive line. We have a few fantastic... Really, we have a, a super deep... Uh, defensive line to this point and a lot of names it really that, sounds like a broken record yeah and it's going to keep going that way but a lot of names what, what i really like about this defensive line is that are, there are a lot of names in the the folks that aren't necessarily starting that started last year or played tr- like a whole bunch last year a lot of uh, upperclassmen we have a few seniors as Absolutely. well yeah, yeah. Uh, and a junior we have more upperclassmen actually in the defensive line than we do um lower classmen which is something to talk about next year but we'll get to that in a moment but we have Malik carrying a defensive end tyler clark a defensive tackle michael bennett a nose tackle and jordan davis a nose tackle those both being nose tackle just because we're not sure potentially what could happen but also they'll they'll most likely be rotating that position um over yeah games. i mean jordan davis you know michael bennett is sort of your prototypical not quite 350 pounds he's not like you know terrence cody or anything but he's a big dude who kind of plays well against the run 
Jordan Davis plays well against the run too, but he's incredibly athletic and fast to beat 320 pounds or whatever he is. So he's probably more of your like third down guy. Mm -hmm. They're going to rotate pretty much snap by snap anyway. Malik Herring, really, really good at defensive end the way we use it. He's a really good run stuffer, gets after the quarterback really well, moves well in space. He's Malik Herring is one of my favorite players on the team secretly because (laughs) I think he just, he fits well, not so secretly anymore, but Malik Herring fits what defenses want to do so well right now. He can play the run. He knows how to play contain. He can rush the passer. And if you get him out in isolation in a run pass option, he's fast enough to, you know, tackle whoever, mm-hmm. you know, running back, uh, quarterback, whatever. But he's also sturdy enough that he can, like, you know, cut under or get past a offensive lineman or he can hold up at the point of attack. He's he's he is a really good player, and I don't think he really got enough credit for how good he was last year. Mm-hmm. Just because he, you know, defensive end and the way that we play it is such a sort of like jack of all trades position. You just have to be a big dude who can run, much like our tight end position, really. Yeah, you have to be a big dude who can run. But by big dude, I don't mean like six five two twenty. I mean like six two. 300 you have to be that kind of big dude <laughs> yeah. who can run and malik herring's not that big he's more like you know 280 i think but still i i really love him sorry that's my love letter to malik herring um tyler clark yeah well he's not i don't know if he's the one this year tyler clark is i've been really a surprise like he was sort of written off last season he got a little bit of playing time i think coming into the kyle uh, tyler clark and michael bennett both have had monster off seasons two dudes who are seniors and a redshirt senior who if hadn't they hadn't been written off, at least had not gotten a lot of playing time last year and had not looked spectacular when they did get playing time. I came into the I came into the year thinking that Julian Rochester and David Marshall would be the you know two of the ones we'd be talking about at you know nose tackle, defensive tackle, defensive end, and they really haven't done a lot. And I think it's because Michael Barnett and Tyler Clark have come on so fast, and not not so fast, but have come on so strong, and that that really bodes well. On the one hand, like you were saying, it is a little bit top heavy right now, but it is actually nice that we are going to have some dudes who are getting development, right? You got Tramel Wathauer, you got Trayvon Walker. It's actually not horrible that they're not going to have to play this year if they're not going to be forced to play if the lineup stays as it is. It is, it is, I will say it is definitely a much deeper room than last year. I think, um, you know, having some of these dudes who were sophomores last year, Devonta Wyatt and um, Lee Caring, who took their lumps last year, coming in and being experienced. And then, you know, having people like Trayvon Walker to come in and just really, like, inject a lot more athleticism into the room is just very exciting. One question I would ask is, is with so many upperclassmen in kind of the twos of the defensive line, what do you think that we'll see a lot more rotation like we have in the past years? Will it be more rotation? Kind of, What will this look like in, during gameplay with these players? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I mean, we rotated a lot last year situationally, so I expect to see that continue. I, w- I would just say that in the, you know rotation can be two things. It can be rotation can be something where it's like you have you have to rotate this guy in because he's a great he's a great pass rusher, but he cannot defend the run, right? Or you have to rotate this guy in because he really defends the run, but he can't move very quickly against the pass rush. That was sort of the kind of rotation we were having to do last year, where there was a if if an offense could guess right based on our personnel and put those dudes in tension where they were having to rush the passer when they couldn't or when they're having to defend the run when they couldn't, they could basically using our pers- use our personnel against us, right? I think that while we will be rotating the, the rotating the same amount, the advantage we'll have is that we have more athleticism on this line, and a lot of that athleticism is on big dudes. So we have a lot of guys who are comfortable out there 
doing whatever, right? Michael Barnett, Jordan Davis, you know, Tramel Wathauer, I think to some extent, Malik Herring, these are dudes who you can kind of keep them out there for four downs and they'll be fine, right? So you'll see more rotation, I think, to keep people fresh, but it'll also be more comfortable because you'll have, you'll feel good about those dudes being out there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Moving to one of uh, my favorite pieces of the whole team, uh, just the linebackers in general. So we have outside linebackers, we have inside linebackers. Do you want to talk about them both separately or all together? Let's talk about them separately because okay. I think it's, you know, the way we run it, it's two different systems. Yeah. So it looks like we're going to have Aziz, uh, Aziz Ojolari, who is a, what is he, a sophomore this year? He's a redshirt freshman. freshman. Freshman, freshman this year, uh, very highly touted quarterback or player. He's sort of like a pass rush guy. He's like sort of your prototypical outside linebacker, can play the run, big, bigger dude. Uh, opposite him, you'll have either Jermaine Johnson or Nolan Smith. Jermaine Johnson, I think, is much more of your rangy, like, I'm not going to say Lorenzo Carter, but maybe we'll play Lorenzo Carter's role where he can drop into coverage. He can do sort of like the Davin Bellamy thing where mm-hmm. he is comfortable covering a tight end or uh, inside wide receiver or whatever. Um, then you'll also have not, I don't think competing with Aziz Jalari, but splitting snaps with Jermaine Johnson. You'll have Nolan Smith, who is just a ridiculous pass rusher. Nolan Smith is probably a little small, a little small right now. Like Nolan Smith's highlights are his first step is stupid it is absolutely stupid and his bend like the way he just can get around it's the way he gets around the right tackle just with speed like is just dumb and he is a ridiculous player and he's big like he's he's a little rangy but like you know he could add some weight but he's not like an adam anderson where he looks like a wide receiver coming out of high school dude is dude is like thick like he's got weight on him he was a consensus five-star consistent number one player not in the nation, but he was definitely the number one defensive end. Mm-hmm. Or he might have been the number one. I know. He was the number one. He was one the number player. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's ridiculous. Yeah. And there's a reason that he's ridiculous. He's going to be, like, I, I'm I'm incredibly excited to see what Nolan Smith does this year because we haven't had, we've had a lot of good players, but we have not had this, we haven't, we haven't seen anyone who has the, this kind of upside since Lorenzo Carter. Mm-hmm. He's going to be like, America's he, sweetheart. I'm, I'm saying it right yeah. now. Uh, Nolan Smith could be like, you know, your next Leonard Floyd, your next Lorenzo Carter, the dude who's going in the first or second round Mm -hmm. of the NFL draft. And honestly, he could be better than them. Yeah. He is so fast. Because Lorenzo Lorenzo Carter, when he came in, was tiny and Nolan Smith is not tiny. He could add weight, but he's not tiny. He's a he's a he's a pretty big dude. Mm -hmm. Uh and you know, Leonard Floyd was the same way. He was like a converted tight end or whatever. Nolan Smith is thick. Like I have a hard time talking about Nolan Smith and not feeling like I'm objectifying him and leading into this like system of inequity that happens with the way that we um, sort of make players' bodies meet. But whatever, he's ridiculous. Yep, I'm so excited. All right, that's I. I don't know if you can tell who my my crush. Nolan Smith has been my crush since the moment he committed, like five years ago. Since he was, I guess, 14 years old, <laughs> he's just been committed forever, and he never once wavered. And he's he's big and he's adorable and he he's he looks like a lot of fun and I think that we're never gonna have any issues with him. Knock on wood again. Uh, and I saw him buy like six, he he bought like twenty four white roses at Publix the other day. What a guy! And yeah, like th- well, no, this is like I say the other day, but it was like three months ago. Mm-hmm. And I freaked out and called Justin about it. Oh yeah, and it was it was really. Great. I saw him at uh, Urban Outfitters that one time. He was buying oh, sunglasses. God. Needed some sunglasses. The, the legend. The legend. Anyway, <laughs> but I mean, constant and here's shopper. The thing. We just. We just spent 
like you know five minutes talking about nolan smith but genuinely like he might not play jermaine johnson might just yeah, be that good that's fair and then you've got you've got guys like walter grant adam anderson walter grant and adam anderson were legitimate starting options at offensive or at outside linebacker and the sec last year and they may not play as much this year that's again broken record the talent on this team i truly cannot emphasize enough the count on this team is ridiculous it is freaking ridiculous and like People are going to get all caught up about the fact that this team is going to like lose a game somewhere in this ridiculous schedule that they have. But I really, really would caution you. I would caution you to think about when you get angry in that moment, when we like lose to Texas A&M on some BS call, or we go to eight overtimes, or we lose to Auburn because to a former wide receiver or something, it doesn't matter. When that happens and you're really angry and you have this impulse to be, to let the words out of your mouth, this is just like when Mark Richt, I would caution you to just look at the average blue chip recruiting ratio that we have right now. It's like, it's literally 80% of the players on the team are four and five stars. This like Mark Richt at his best never fielded a team with this kind of components. No. I'm not saying Mark Richt is a better or worse coach than Kirby Smart. I'm saying Mark Richt never had a team this talented. Let's move on to inside linebacker. So we've got a couple familiar names in Monty Rice and Tay Crowder. Right behind them, we have uh, a wealth of folks. Uh, a few more uh, familiar names and a few we might not know. Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, and Nate McBride. So a whole mix. And just like linebacker in the past years, uh, we will definitely have a, a plethora of rotation going throughout this. But yeah. pretty sure that Monty Rice and Tay Crowder will be the ones starting the games. Yeah, Monty Rice, uh, big fireplug of a dude. Runs pretty well, but just like just a thumper when he goes down the middle. Um Tay Crowder converted running back a, a guy. He was a two-star running back coming out of college, high school, I think, but I actually know him relatively well from my time working in the athletic department. Um, and I was actually working with him on some stuff when he moved from running back to uh, linebacker. And he's just the sweetest kid. And he took it all in stride. And like most people would think, well, this is going to kill my career. So I'm not going to do it. And I don't care. And, and it has to a lot of people. And so like, I'm, it's stupid to say that I'm proud of him, but I'm like really excited for him. I'm mm. really proud of him, actually. Tay Crowder is like a really good dude who, you know, weathered the transition from our Creek to Kirby Smart and frankly played on a team where, you know, 80% of the people were rated as being more talented than him coming out of high school and didn't flinch. And now he's going to start. And I think that's really cool. That is really cool. What can you tell us about uh, Nicobe Dean is somebody that we're throwing around a whole lot. Uh, what do we know about him? Okay. So Nicobe Dean and Channing Tindall. One of them is going to be the next Raquan Smith. Calm down, Nathan. <laughs> no, I'm hold I, your like, tongue. Like no, genuinely. Like so, Quay Walker is a little bit bigger. Quay Walker was a guy who was going to be an outside linebacker. He's a little too small for an outside linebacker. He's probably going to be more of your like, if you had to choose between like Monty Rice and he's probably more of a Monty Rice body type than he is a Raquan Smith body type. Mm. People forget because Raquan was so preternaturally good at diagnosing plays, but Raquan's actually a pretty small dude compared to a lot of outside or inside linebackers. So Chan, you know, Quay Walker is more of your normal inside linebacker size as is Channing Tindall. Channing Tindall is ridiculous. He's super fast. He has great diagnosis. He runs the ball. He tackles cleanly. Nicobe Dean is a freshman who's maybe a little undersized, but tackles like a literal bat out of hell. Like he, Nicobe Dean's highlights, he very much has like, uh, he has sort of like Richard LeCount syndrome, where when you're watching Nicobe Dean's highlights, you're just like, ooh, 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 what, no, stop. Where, where you're, every time you don't, you don't feel bad for, 
the guy he tackled so much as you just feel bad for like everyone involved with this and you're like how have you suppressed your instincts <laughs> such that you will hit someone that hard like if that makes sense yeah, you yeah. know what i mean i think you once likened richard the count to a heat-seeking missile without the heat-seeking kind of like just yeah, a missile he, on the field yeah he just, he's one of those dudes nicobe dean is like really fast and has really good ball skills and like runs really well and he's kind of like got this like sort of tight end wide receiver body he can cover and all that business but he's also just one of those dudes who like when he picks a direction he's just like come what may right <laughs> here bring, i am bring bring on the concussions bring on the broken arm like i don't care i'm going to just run you into the ground and like he he has a lot of like full body tackles mm-hmm. well he where and this is bad tackling form but it just shows his like lack of concern for his own bodily harm <laughs> is he'll like tackle someone just literally by being faster than them and then just like pressing his body up against mm-hmm. theirs like there's no form into it he hasn't dropped his knee he just sort of runs into somebody really fast and so i love him for that Works most and he of also the time. played like he put he was at lake horn in high school in texas and he played like or no mississippi sorry horn lake rather he was at horn lake and mississippi and he played like 15 positions on the team he played like wildcat quarterback and running back and just i'm very excited about him he is a little undersized but i mean but he he took an injury and now he's practicing again before he had an injury he was pushing for starting snaps like i think he's that kind of kid and you'll remember not even roquan really roquan looked a little lost at times when he you know his freshman year he did yeah so so we'll we'll see i mean i i think again this is just this is a position where the depth is such that we know what we have in money money rice and trey crowder it feels like, based on early reports, that Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, or Channing Tindall, one of those dudes is going to hit. Mm-hmm. And and this is like what we talked about with like we've talked about this in the past, where you have depth such that we can treat our roster sort of the way like a baseball roster treats its you know uh, international signings or its its day five draft picks, where you're just like, okay, all of these fire these five stars, they're all lottery tickets, and they have a much higher hit rate than say like a left-handed you know reliever out of the out of high school in the dominican republic or whatever mm-hmm. right whereas that might be like a five percent hit rate these four and five stars it's like a 30 40 percent hit rate but if you have four and five stars four or five deep at every position and you need a guy to step up you're almost always going to get one just by virtue of the math right so that that's i i know i'm i've keep saying the same thing but like I genuinely cannot express to everyone listening to this how excited you should be that Georgia is in that place. It is very easy for us to forget with all the heartache in the last two years, with all the things that we wish we had gone different, with all those moments that feel like bittersweet ennui as we stared at our lover across the room who we knew that we'd never see again and we knew that we just couldn't make this relationship work and that we burned for this person but we couldn't quite make it match up. For all of the, For all that Georgia football is like that, you should be excited to be a fan of this team. It is a rare and wondrous thing to have this much talent on this team. And yes, Clemson has it. Alabama has it. That's fine. You are being spoiled if you act like Georgia has always had this. There is no amount of Baptist prayers that will make Mark Richt recruit the way that Kirby Smart recruits. Anyway, Uh, quarterbacks. Let's move into another part of the defense that is kind of questionable at this point. And in past, I would say... Considering past years, this is the best situation we've had in past years. Because I remember last year starting the season talking about cornerbacks and wondering what might be happening. How are we going to get through it? We're not sure what's going to happen. And we had some definite uh, roadblocks and kind of bumbles along the way uh, with current players that are starting now this season, which is really exciting. And Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, most likely. 
we do also have Mark Webb, who will most likely start. We, we have he's, he's going to start at star, I think. Yeah, um, we, we there will be some movement between cornerbacks and safeties uh, and star most likely. But one thing that did happen today during Monday practice, I know just from reports, is that uh, DJ Daniel is probably starting over Tyson Campbell at this point. So a little bit of movement there. Uh, what else can you tell us about what's going on at the cornerback position? So you've got uh, entrenched, it seems like, at the starting position you've got at the star, which is sort of the nickelback, which the nickelback, which is the third quarterback, plays about 70% of the time, they say now. So it's he's functionally a starter is um, Mark Webb, which I think is really interesting because, because Ty- Tyreek McGee has kind of had a if not a chokehold on that position, he's been seeing a lot of that position lately. And Tyreek McGee is a good player, but he is maybe not, he doesn't quite have the athletic profile that a lot of these other guys do. So it's very interesting to see somebody like Mark Webb, who is a former wide receiver, who is just, he went to DeAndre Swift's school, high school, who switched to cornerback and is just sort of like the prototypical cornerback, like 6'2", rangy, tall, fast. And so it's interesting to see him take over from the the more experienced Tyreek McGee. Then you've got Eric Stokes, who came on opposite DeAndre Baker last year and was really, really, really good. Looks like he's just kind of like a tall, fast, rangy Alabama corner in, in the mold of these other Alabama corners that we've seen. Uh, what's interesting is that you have a guy like Tyson Campbell, who is a former five-star. He's a sophomore. He took his lumps last year, but he is undoubtedly talented, who has gotten pushed out, it looks like, by a five-star Juco guy, DJ Daniel, out of South Carolina, who was at Georgia Military College, and he was originally a five-star, and then he couldn't qualify, and then he went to GMC, and then he committed. And it looks like that um, Campbell has gotten pushed out by DJ Daniel, which I think is just really really interesting and really sort of emblematic of where this team is where you have like five stars pushing five stars and then you've got like guys like Tyreek Stevenson who is an incoming freshman who is probably going to start behind Eric Stokes right I think he's in the rotation in that second and third rotation Mm -hmm. behind Eric Stokes and who is another five-star freshman who may or may not see any snaps in the first game so just it's I'm not going to pretend that this room is better this year because anytime you lose a guy like deandre baker you're never going to be better because he was just such a preternaturally good talent in his last year especially but i will say that like top to bottom this is a deeper room right last year's room tyreek mcgee had to start right and there's nothing wrong with tyreek mcgee it's just like he came out of high school with a different level of expectation for what his career would be than a lot of these other guys right and now we're at a position where Tyreek McGee is like your super safety who play can play all the positions right mm-hmm. and so that's super cool like that's it, it, al- it allows us flexibility strategically but it also gives us bu- a buffer against injury and it also lets us be very specific about our matchups right and so you might like you know, against run-heavy teams, you might like Tyreek McGee because he plays run support really well. And you might like Mark Webb because he has better coverage skills against teams that are going to throw a lot. And having that kind of like, that is that is a really rare and wondrous like privilege that this coaching staff has. The And then you've got, and then you've got like Devod Wilson, oh. who oh, yes. like two years ago, or who last year before he got hurt, looked like he was going to be the next DeAndre Baker. So that's ridiculous. <laughs> a lot of people are worrying about what are we going to do without DeAndre Baker, and it looks like we're going to be just fine. Yeah, I mean, like, it's impossible to say, you know, it's, I'm not saying that one of these guys is going to be DeAndre Baker, but it's it's difficult for me to imagine that we won't have, on aggregate, as good a production because I think that the guy opposite DeAndre Baker is better, and we might get, like, 70% of DeAndre Baker from the dude replacing DeAndre Baker. If that makes sense. It does make sense. 
Uh, one of the last positions we're going to talk about before we get into the surefire ones are is safety. So we have J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount, which are some people are saying J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount are kind of stepping into defensive leadership positions. And then behind them, we have a few other players that we can talk about too. But what are we hearing about the safety role? What are we excited about? What are we not excited about? Um, seems like that J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount have both kept their spots. Mm-hmm. J.R. Reed is like sort of. Jerry Reed is probably the other no doubter other than Jake Fromm, like the most likely to start all along. He's just steady to be a former Tulsa transfer. The fact that he just has kind of locked onto a spot and he's just not getting it, giving it up ever is pretty crazy. But Richard LeCount looks like he might lose a spot. Like he's had problems tackling and he's getting pressed by Lewis sign who, you know, I, I think that Otis Reese, who is sort of like a hybrid linebacker, well, was originally a hybrid linebacker, but then became a safety. I think Otis Reese is probably the heir apparent for J.R. Reed and that Lewis Sign is just going to push Richard LeCount every year or all year, which is really nice because Richard, Richard like I say that like I know him, but I don't. Uh, LeCount <laughs> is incredibly, incredibly talented, incredibly fast, but he's a little bit undersized and he does not tackle up to his size. There have been times where he's had problems wrapping up. Or when he's gone for the big hit and has not, you know, he's missed big tackles in the open field. He has a really hard time, for whatever reason, covering swing routes into the flat. Like, he he has a really bad habit of taking bad angles or of just thinking, like, I think he's so fast that even against bad SEC teams or against slower SEC receivers, he's been able to just, like, make up for bad angles with speed. But against people who he can't do that, he's gotten torched several times. Or he's just come up and run support and just whiffed a tackle. So... It's. I feel okay about the safety position because it, because he's getting pressed. If it was just like, oh, he's the no doubt starter from day one, I would feel a little more worried because he's shown he's shown some like positional vulnerability. But the fact that he's getting pressed by two guys behind him, and that it seems like we're really starting to develop some some depth, you know, some young depth behind him, I feel pretty good about it. And you got a guy like Chris Smith, who's like a four star, who nobody's even talking about in that room as well and a former four star <clears throat> the the very last positions here are our specialist roles in jake camarda who is our starting punter uh he can kick the ball straight to the moon and hot rod rodrigo blankenship himself who is doing his victory lap right now as redshirt senior um i thought this is a better time than any to talk about one of my favorite websites on the internet rodrigo which has actually not been updated since april 29th unfortunately so ken ken what are you doing i am waiting my finger is on the f5 button i am refreshing constantly i'm waiting for my hot hot ken blankenship rodrigo blankenship stats and facts i need hot rod updates give me what i got I need hot rod facts what i want yeah tell me but that that's all you need to know there, that's it he's my dad uh jake camarda is well, he's, he's all of our dads. he's all of our dads um i think there's a song that goes something like um who is it was it abraham had many sons it's kind of like that, the hot sons. rod. Father, Father Rodrigo had many there you sons. Go. Many sons had Father Rodrigo. But I think that joke's already been made last year with another player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting because obviously Hot Rod is Hot Rod, and he's just good. I mean, there's not really a lot to say. I don't know if he's a Grozo Award winner, but he's definitely one of the better kickers in the SEC. What what I'm really intrigued by is Jake Barter really came on last year from being sort of, let's say, inconsistent in his placement right mm-hmm. where he would just boom a punt like out of bounds yeah that happened a few times to, to really really looking good mm-hmm. at the end of the year and if he can continue to develop into a weapon i think i think because kickoffs have turned into just touchback fest and rightfully so because kickoffs dangerous and hurtful mm-hmm. that 
punting is one of the one of the places where you can still get a lot of value out of special teams just by having a dude who can hit a coffin corner punt or can pin somebody back at the one or whatever and it seems like jake camarda always had the leg to do that but is getting closer and closer to having like you know the experience to do it consistently mm-hmm. and so i'm excited about that he as definitely well. got that more consistent by the end of the year i will say one thing that i am uh kind of concerned about for rodrigo is that uh i'm hoping one of the you know one of the big issues we had last year was the, the fact that our red zone game uh offensively was pretty weak at least as far as consistency went so um you know we of course we have that dreadful time that we played uh florida last year and had five or how many was it seven starts at the five yard line one yard line right around there and didn't even score so things like yeah. that i'm hoping will not be happening this year i'm hoping that we've solved our red zone woes and hot rod will not be somebody that we're relying on to score for us when we get inside the 40 and 50 he can do that yeah. still and we have that to fall back on but it's not something we want to rely on so we may be just hearing him less i i i feel like purely conventional play calling where you're just like okay first and one from the goal line let's run it up the middle that didn't work okay let's try something else let's throw it to the flats let's throw a deep fade i feel like just being boring like in that florida game i had the feeling of like just literally doing like lee corso pick a play and doing the most like cliched thing possible here would get us a better result so even if james coley is just boring in those situations he'll still be better Mm -hmm. and that's our team we did it yeah so let's talk about what we think about the year yeah so do you have a do you have a production? Do you want me to go first? What are you thinking? Just looking at my my entirely too early prediction of the year, just looking at the whole schedule from top to bottom. Uh, you know, I've had some time to look over kind of the strength of schedules and everything, kind of the ranks. That's kind of how I sit here and I, I look at all this because I can look at the fact that George is number three going into the season and, and that tells me something. But then you kind of look down the the resume and you see that we're only projected to win 9.9 games what two games are we going to end up losing what 2.7 games we're going to end up losing excuse me and why is our win out percentage only 2.6 so you get all the way down to your strength of schedule ranking which is four we have the fourth toughest schedule at this point with other teams ahead of us being uh florida uh i believe usc and number one being south carolina which two of those teams are in our conference um two of those teams have to play us uh which is pretty great uh it feels good but the teams that are the yeah, toughest we're part of the problem for other we, teams we are part of sure. the problem for sure but the issue is that those teams are not a problem for us necessarily as in regards to strength of schedule ranking the teams that come at us with an issue or as an issue are all of the top 20 teams that we're playing kind of in a row this season so our first three games while it's kind of nice to say yeah we're most likely statistically speaking going to win our first three games that's great but then we play uh one two three four five six seven eight teams in a row that are all top 20 ranked teams and so that's the issue is that we're going to have back-to-back games eight or ten weeks in a row where we're playing some of the toughest teams in the nation and so that's definitely going to wear down on us if we had to guess by the end of that 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 eight game run the seventh one being auburn there's a chance that we might lose that team currently it's a 54 percent chance that we win that game but what is it going to look like by that time after we we've gone through the gauntlet of all these teams that are presumably one of the strongest conferences in the nation? Um, who knows? I, I can't say, but I think projecting this team at a 10 to is not giving it enough credit that this is, this is a team that I've been telling people kind of off the cuff all, all off season that I, this is the team that we have the best chance we will have in the foreseeable future to most likely win uh, a national championship. 
and I will stand by that till the end of the season or until I am proven otherwise. Uh, I think at the very least, this is an 11-1 team. Um, I'm hoping that we squeak out and beat Auburn, beat Texas A&M, and uh, continue not thinking about Georgia Tech to finish the regular season. That's kind of what I'm looking at. What about you? Okay, I think matchup specific. You know, obviously Auburn has a very good offensive li- or defensive line, but that is also our strength is our offensive mm-hmm. line. And I think that it's hard to play at Auburn. It'll probably be a night game. Mm-hmm. I don't feel super good about that game. But I actually think we might go 11-1 and one and Texas A&M will be our problem. Mm-hmm. And here's why. go You go into Texas A&M, it's a game at home. If you do, if it goes like I'm thinking, you've already sort of locked up. If we go into Texas A&M 10-0, we will have probably already won the East. Yes. So you're sitting there looking at these last two games. Texas A&M is a very good team, but probably not as good as Auburn this year. I just feel like that might be a look-ahead game a little bit, not even to Georgia Tech, but to the SEC Championship. And I worry about them coming in there in a night game and just squeaking one out because it's a very talented team. And it's a team where if you have an injury or if we are never going to throw a game, this is not the NBA, like we're never going to put out scrubs, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a world where you have locked up and are ready to play for everything that you have to play for when you go into that Texas A&M game. And so I just think it's possible that we are in a position where losing doesn't hurt us that much and we want to win, but we're just kind of like, this is gravy. Yeah. Right. And so if I thought that we were going to lose to Auburn, I would probably not pick Texas A&M. I just think the things that Auburn are best at are also things that we are good at. Right. So it might come down to just can we negate their home field advantage? And what you got to remember about the last time we played in Auburn is Auburn had like these three magical weeks where they just played out of their minds better than they were. And they had a really good home field advantage that helped them do that. So I just I don't know that we can rationally expect that to happen twice and have that like perfect storm. So I'm going to say 11 and one loss at home against Texas A&M at the end of the season. If I if if I was going to pick anything else, I think I would actually probably say eleven and one loss uh, versus Notre Dame, and I, and if that happens, that'll actually be really interesting because it, it's really funny. We can lo- if we go eleven and one and our only loss is Notre Dame, like we're almost certainly going to go, like we're almost certainly at least going to go to the SEC championship and probably going to go to the national championship. Yeah, like there's a pretty good chance. So it'll be really interesting to see how that loss is covered and. You know, if we if we were to lose to Notre Dame, what the reception to that would be, and it would depend a lot on how the game went. But I think it's just really interesting that that game is so important and such an interesting tone setter. Yet at the same time, you can still win every game and go to the national championship and not have to worry about mm-hmm. it. And so I think that's really really intriguing because I mean, make no mistake, if you if you lose close to Alabama and or you beat Alabama in the SEC championship, if you go 11 and one against the schedule, you're almost, you're, you're a hundred percent absolutely going to the, to the national title or to the, the college the, football playoffs. the playoff. Yeah. You're all, you're, you're about a hundred percent going. If you go 11 and one against the schedule, if you go two and two against the schedule, you probably have to beat Alabama or at least make it a really close mm-hmm. matchup or the alternative, <laughs> the, the alternate uh, future here is that the, the back six of our schedule just kind of crapped the bed during the season somehow for some reason which is unlikely oh but, i can already yeah. tell you who i think is going to be. <laughs> i mean the like, one we haven't spoken thing, about that is the highest ranked team on the schedule so far <laughs> yeah florida yep. yeah like i i just don't i don't see it happening last year last two years ago 2017 everybody was like florida looks so good and it's like regression and it is true 
Florida is in many ways prime for success. Mm-hmm. Bill Connolly wrote a piece about how, you know, their past six years have looked more like 2018 than 2017. 100% understood. Having said that, there is a very big difference in the talent level at Florida from Georgia. That does not mean that Florida cannot beat Georgia. In a, in a pure vacuum, assume that Felipe Franks is better than he looked against Miami, and then he's gotten better than he was last mm-hmm. year. Let's say that he has an average increase. He's like 10% better, right? 10% fewer interceptions, 10% more yards, 10% more touchdowns, whatever. Is that a player that beat Jake Fromm? Because to me, that sounds like a quarterback at Missouri or a quarterback at Tennessee mm-hmm. or something. you know. And those dudes have not beaten Jake Fromm either. Can could because what you're really saying if you say Felipe Franks can beat Jake Fromm, from is that you know Jared Guarantano playing for Florida State Florida can beat Jake yeah. Fromm, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And so I just have a really hard time imagining that. Uh, on the the inverse there, do you ha- do you see a team that you think is um, underrated as far as ranking goes right now? Um, I think Tennessee is pretty yeah. good. I, I think I think Tennessee may get bowl eligible and be like a good bowl eligible team. I think we'll beat Tennessee, but I think it'll be like, you know, a two possession win instead of like a four possession win. I think it'll be actually like pretty respectable and like we'll have to sweat it a little bit. I think Missouri is going to be pretty good this year. I think they're sort of probably accurately rated. Um, No, that's about it. I mean, I think Georgia Tech's trash. (laughs) I'm I'm way more, way, way, way more, way more worried about Vanderbilt than Georgia Tech. I am as well. But then again, like. I'm more worried about if we were playing a, a Vanderbilt team later in the season than we were right now, because as of right this moment, we're recording this, they have still yet to name a starting quarterback. Yeah, and they're trying to do this like like the, like state secrets. Like, like I don't really care. I don't. I, it's like, it, really, I think us playing Vanderbilt early, it has some disadvantages to go on the road early, obviously. But us playing Vanderbilt early, you know, when you play early and everyone's sloppy, talent wins out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and we are on the right side of that. Right. If you're going to defeat a talented team, you need to play perfectly and they need to play sloppy. If everyone's playing sloppy, the more talented team is probably going to mm-hmm. win. Now we're time. Now, blah, 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 blah. We've been talking for so long that now it's time for our favorite segment on the show. Ask CBC is where we ask your questions live on the show. Live for us, not so much for you, but if you want to hear your questions answered on the show, just hit us with the hashtag AskCBC or just send us regular old snail mail, uh, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. I really like how you I really like how you talked your way out of that very generous de- definition of live, but whatever, <laughs> carry on. Uh, I, I forgot which podcast I'm on. Another podcast we have talks about live a lot, and it's kind of an inside joke. And by that, I mean a bad one. Uh, our very first question comes from West Coast Mark, uh, old time West Coast Mark, one of the very first listeners of the show, I feel at this point. But West Coast Mark asks, does UGA get bonus points for having three QBs starting for ranked teams? Uh, and then he also added, if you don't answer my question in your next episode, I'm placing my name in the transfer portal. Uh, yes, we do. Because then if we are better than those three ranked, those other two ranked teams, we could, it's just like more talk but it's easier to talk crap when you're like you needed our players to be as good as you are and you're still worse than us so yes. you want to talk about it statistically fpi does account for that because we're points above the average team <laughs> yeah we're better we, we are rated higher than both those teams for fpi anyway carrying on uh kyle andrich he asked should the fan base pump the brakes on zamir white hype i hope he storms back but he's had two major knee injuries I think we should pump the brakes for like game one, Zemir White. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to say that you have a five-star freshman coming off of an injury and you want to see him do well. I don't I don't think this is the year, though. And that's okay. 
is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I, I don't think I think we should pump the brakes on 2019 Zamir White hype. Yeah, yeah, specifically Chad Peltier. He is asking, where does this season rank for you in terms of preseason excitement levels? If you had to pick one advanced stat that indicates that UGA is achieving its goals this season, what would it be besides like overall SMP plus passing efficiency and passing explosiveness? Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Especially um, run down passing efficiency, because I want to see how we do when we can't run. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite stat that's going to indicate for me whether or not UJ is achieving its goals is going to be efficiency inside the red zone. Red zone efficiency is a big one. I think havoc rate is also a big mm-hmm. one. If I mean excitement level, I think you can tell my excitement level is pretty high. I'm excited to see this team play. I think they're really good. I think that this is going to be one of those teams that has a lot of former future NFL stars on it. I really mm-hmm. do. And I'm excited. And maybe this is not the year, but I really am excited to see where this team goes. It's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, Next question comes from Ben Shepard. Uh, how many former five stars will not start for any game this season? Will any not play at all, not counting special teams? Don't think any are not going to play at yeah, all. Yeah, we don't have a last year situation. But I think it's very possible that like all of the five stars don't start a game. Yeah. Who the bet like the best five star coming in is probably Nolan Smith, and it's very possible Nolan Smith does not start a game. Yeah, we I mean we had a last a situation last year where we had by the end of the season enough players that ended up getting redshirted, and I don't feel like we have that situation this year necessarily. Well who was the who was the five star offensive lineman in our recruiting class? Um, he might not start. he he would probably be the one I would say. So Georgia two thousand eighteen. So let's just go through these five stars really mm-hmm. quick. So let's go through on this list really quick. So 2019, we've got Nolan Smith as a five-star, Nicobe Dean as a five-star, Trayvon Walker, George Pickens, Clay Webb. Yep. Of those five, I would say Clay Webb is the most likely to not play. Doubt it. I think he'll still probably play. George Pickens is going to probably get snaps the first game. Nicobe Dean is going to get snaps the first game. Nolan Smith is going to get snaps the first game. Weirdly enough, like Trayvon Walker, I think also has a decent chance to not get snaps just because it seems like defensive tackle is deeper than we thought. Mm-hmm. But him and Clay Webb, I think, would be the two. Paul Bjorklund. That's a good name. Why does the SEC and the rest of the P5 Power 5 conferences limit the road team to a seven-man travel roster? Isn't this a disadvantage for the road team? Coaches often use making the travel roster as a motivational tool for underclassmen. But is this by design or consequence? I don't actually know the history well, of I think Well, I think the travel roster was originally, it, there was a time when it was not as easy to move people yeah, around as it is today. Probably logistical. There was a time when, there was a time when football programs, and this is going to shock you, there was a time within all of our lives listening to this when football programs did not have functionally unlimited budgets. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious about that. I'm going to look up the origin of the, the travel roster. I mean, we've talked a little bit about... The origin of the travel roster is that, is the like limitation of traveling in buses yeah and basically like you know you well it's but there's two things originally there were no roster limit sizes as well as not being travel roster limit sizes so one of the things that like bear bryant would do would have like would would be to have like a 150 man roster and so just by like by the way he had his team set up he just could like out body you and just send in fresh bodies on every Mm -hmm. play so it's partly that, but it's also the logistical concerns. The logistical concerns, mm-hmm. but you can look up the specifics, like because I don't know the specifics of when it changed. Yeah, and stuff. I mean Bear Bryant is is where a lot of football changed. He broke a lot of yeah. rules, and it, it, it's it's but for good reason. And if you haven't looked back on what Bear Bryant did, just not concerning uh, his win record or anything, like he's a pretty neat guy. Next question comes from our friends at Waiting Since Last Saturday, actually. So they say. All the Georgia fans will finally reveal themselves when the Redcoats play Krypton Fanfare at the start of the fourth quarter Saturday night. 
What are y'all's guesses at the percentage of dog fans at Vanderbilt Stadium? P.S. Welcome back. Thanks, you guys. So, Nathan, you'll be at the game, right? No, I'm not going this year. I like actually like Vanderbilt Stadium. I think it's actually pretty nice for a tiny little stadium. Like, genuinely, this is not a backhanded compliment. I think it's fun. The viewing angles are nice. Um, and I love Nashville. Yeah. But I just need to be around my wife. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Nashville's a really cool city. But, yeah, we'll definitely see it. Uh, percentage guesses. I think that, I mean, it's not far. It's like maybe six hours, seven hours to get to Nashville from here. But then again, like we only get about 15, 20% of the tickets uh, and that's just uh student tickets. So we got to see kind of what we're looking at as far as additional and, tickets. Dude, goes. Every time I've been to Vanderbilt in the past, it's been at least 50%. Yeah. I would say like easily 70, 75%. Like I, I like genuinely it like when UGA is good, there are a lot of UGA fans in Nashville because it's kind of a transplant mm-hmm. city the way that Atlanta is not quite like Atlanta, but it's kind of like that. I, I would not be shocked for it to be 65, 70%. Uh, next question comes from Jonathan Ashley. Which player that didn't start for UGA last year do you think will have the biggest impact? I was about to say, is he fishing for... Uh, well, not Nolan Smith. Count count players that uh, were on the team but didn't start. Yeah, that's what I want to know. Damn, that's a good question. Nah, Cade, May- Cade Mays would be my first my first answer, but Cade he Mays started, started one game, games last maybe year. Maybe two games. Yeah. I th- I'm going to say Channing Tindall. Oh, you know what? Actually, no, I have a better answer. Aziz Ojolari. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be really fun to see. Yeah, our linebackers are going to be really neat. And that's a name that we didn't see. So I'm excited to see kind of what he's up to and what he's going to get into. How much are you expecting the have a great to improve, if at all? And we didn't really talk about have a great. So you want to give a quick uh, overview of what it is and then what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's the percentage of plays on which you cause a fumble, break up a pass, intercept a pass, or have a sack or a tackle for a loss on defense. Uh, traditionally UGA, even when we were really good, has not had good havoc rate, not had been very good at forcing turnovers. That's been a focus of Kirby's over the last couple of years, the, yeah. you know, it's been a, uh, over the past couple of years. Well, in, in particular this off season, have a great, improving havoc rate has been a focus of Kirby's. So how much do I expect to improve? I do, because I think that a lot of the lack of havoc rate might've been sort of like schematic, but also, uh, just approach uh from the defensive coordinator and from kirby and so that's the kind of thing where if kirby is saying he wants it to change then i think it'll change because it's not like we don't have the talent to do that what an episode why did we decide to do such a big episode right at the start of the season anyway because we want people to know where we stand that's fair you're so, right hey uh if you have not already by the time this comes out uh we will have published our seth emerson interview that we we interviewed seth in may late mm-hmm. may and it's all still pretty timely. I think we talk about JJ Holloman in there for a couple of minutes, but really, really interesting insights. And we just asked him a lot of questions about like what it's like to be a real media member and what it's like to cover fans. And we really went out of our way to ask him questions he had not been asked before. I don't know if we really accomplished that at all, but we tried and we had some nice banter. So uh, if this is your first episode, go back, check out that Seth Emerson episode. If you're here because Seth retweeted us and is more famous and talented than we are, then thank you. Um, <laughs> but other than that yeah hey uh just like we said earlier make sure that uh if you do want to hear your questions answered in a future episode be sure to tag us as hashtag askcbc or send us uh, a regular old email chapelbellcurve at gmail.com you can expect these episodes a couple times a week throughout the season it's something that we really enjoy doing it is a labor of love please uh tell a friend let them know if you know somebody that enjoys uj football or somebody that's trying to get into uj football and you think this might be something suited for them i think that uh we have a lot for a lot of different kinds of people to enjoy um and and if you haven't already leave us a review on apple podcasts it it actually does matter it does matter 
Um, Spotify, yeah, all those we, other we places. We would like it. And you know what? You can be mean. Be You can be mean to me personally if you give us as a podcast a nice review. <laughs> as long as you have like a, a, a work cited and you have some data backing up yeah. your, your critical review. Oh, you come up here with that weak linguistic junk. Like I'll get on there and Steve Jobs you myself. <laughs> Apple, Apple himself. <laughs> Apple, ap- Mr. Apple. Mr. Apple. Yes, that's my father. Please call me Steve. Anyway, uh, you can find us on all of the podcast uh, platforms. So if you don't prefer Google Podcasts or iTunes, find us on Spotify and tell a friend. Also, we do have a Patreon. So if you like what you heard, you will hear additional tidbits. And uh, we, we it's a little bit less cut uh, in the Patreon episodes you hear. By some, a little uh, bit less cut, you mean that we are pretty much just going to upload the audio file we're recording Pretty right much. Yeah, you get you get the, the pure, unadulterated, unadulterated uh, unfiltered... Uh, mess that is kind of this hangouts call for us so that goes on the patreon there will also be some additional patreon pieces uploaded over the next few weeks as we do we're get gonna into, start a discord uh, there it is <laughs> oh you can take That's that out. <laughs> but hey patreon subscribers we are gonna start yeah. a discord y'all will be the only ones to hear this yeah. part check out patreon uh we have a few different tiers it's just a dollar or five bucks depending on what you think uh this mess of a show uh deserves but i swear it gets better it's just the beginning of season just like any other football team out there. We're a football team in our own right, really. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, we'll catch you guys. Uh, Nathan's staying in Athens, so you can probably catch him in the Classic City. Uh, I will be at Dragon Con, and so I will be sporting my Georgia Polo uh, amidst the nerds of Atlanta, uh, me being one of those folks. So you can catch me in Atlanta. If you're out in Atlanta, you can catch Nathan in the Classic City most likely. And until next week when we hear you hear from us again, um, go dogs. Is that how it goes? Go dogs. <laughs> Go dogs. <laughs>